Lagos Talks 91.3 and Corporate Shepherds presents the man of the hour. Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome I.D. Enang. This is Navigate with I.D. Enang. This is Navigate with I.D. Brought to you by Corporate Shepherds. Welcome, my dear friends and very distinguished listeners to Navigate with I.D., this is your business school on radio. Such an honor and privilege to be sharing with you today. And just to say, happy new month once again. I know we're getting to a week of the month, but still fresh to some and still rolling to others. Friends, we started a very interesting track, and that has to do with the business of enterprise. That was our session on Tuesday, and we looked at the whole gamut of what enterprise would mean and what enterprise would necessarily help us as individuals, even as businesses, to get into a very distinguished space. For the benefit of those that are joining today and just for the sake of continuity, I'd like to bring to the fore that this topic, the business of enterprise, is meant to stimulate that thought and that direction and to help as many as will want to have some entrepreneurial nature or would like to be classified as enterprising, especially when they are successful. And to make this happen, you need to have and understand the world of business. So what is enterprise? Enterprise is another word for a for-profit business or company, but it is most often associated with entrepreneurial ventures. And people who have entrepreneurial success are often referred to as enterprising. So as someone said to you lately that you are enterprising, basically that means you are successful at what you do. There are loads of people today who need multiple streams of income. They don't even understand how they should go about it. But you need to set up an enterprise to make that happen. And in setting up an enterprise, it means that you must have a balanced perspective of what you will do to make sure that your enterprise comes to bear successfully. But the word enterprise also means a human skill. It means the eagerness to do something new and clever. So do you have a business idea? Do you want to fulfill a certain need in your environment despite all the risks that may be there? Do you want to find yourself in a space where you want to develop something new for the betterment of the society? Then the business of enterprise is something you need to consider. And so we've been looking at a slant of it and just to say that there are different types of enterprise. The types of enterprise you would find will be sole proprietorship, there are partnerships, there are private limited companies, and there are public limited companies, what we call PLCs. Many young people today are running several businesses, cottage businesses. They are meant to be individual sole proprietorships, but the business is not even totally registered, and once it is not registered, registered, you are not a sole proprietor. You should get it under the ambit of something legal. That is, you have gone to the Corporate Affairs Commission. Why? Because enterprise means business. An enterprise is a legal entity that possesses the right to conduct business on its own. So if you're running a business now and you do not have a legal status, you are just on your own. And it has to go through a process. I just thought that I should, you know, rehash this part because in the opening edition, we didn't go neck deep into this aspect. And I feel it's important because as we begin to look at the business of enterprise and being able to help us go through this pathway. It's important that you and I are on the same page whenever we talk about enterprise 
you understand what it is and what it is not. So if you are just buying and selling, transacting things in your in the boot of your vehicle or just having an open garage, as much as you may be having what I call transactions, business transactions, but that entity is not defined and legally put together, you may be called an entrepreneur, but you have not started going through the business of enterprise. In the previous edition, we had talked about the biggest leverage point in any business being marketing. And we went ahead to talk about marketing. I did say that some people think marketing is advertising or branding or marketing communications or some vague concept. While all of these are associated with marketing, they are not one and the same. And so if you recall, I gave a literal explanation about having a circus, having a show, having an item, and people having to either advertise, promote, do some PR and sales. And then we landed at the fact that all of these activities are tactics that, that sit under the roof called marketing. And we went on to talk about strategy and tactics. We said that strategy is a big picture planning. You do prior to the tactics. And then we also said that once you have your strategy, you need to know how many aspects, how many activities, how many dimensions you need to bring that strategy to life. And we liken this to building a house. If a man has an intent to build a palace, a house, he needs an architect, he needs a builder. Without the architectural plan, the builder will not have a format and a frame in, in which he would be able to follow the structural plan. And we went on to talk about the very dimensions of what is required to happen. That professions and professionals are people that walk through a planning process. They have plans. Doctors follow a treatment plan. Pilots follow a flight plan. Soldiers follow a, an operational plan. And so business owners and marketers follow a marketing plan. If you want to have a successful enterprise, you must understand what you need to do in order not to kill your business. One of the easiest, most common ways to kill your business in the NS hope that you wouldn't do it, that's my NS hope, it's absolutely the biggest mistake made by very many small business owners when it comes to marketing. It is always our belief, and it's a widespread problem. And it's at the heart of why most small businesses fail. So if you are a small business owner, you have no doubt given some thought to marketing and advertising. The question is, what approach are you going to take? What are you going to say in your advertising, in your messaging, in your communication? The most common way small business owners decide on this is by looking at large successful competitors in their industry and then they try to mimic what they are doing. That's why I said it's a very, very easy mistake to make and I hope you don't do it. Whilst it may seem logical to do what other successful businesses are doing, and you will also become successful, right? Yes, it seems logical. But I will tell you this, friends. Those big corporations have a way out. In reality, this is the fastest way to fail. And I am very certain it is responsible for the bulk of small business failures within our climb and outside our climb. How do I know this? Because large companies, big ticket companies have a different agenda. They have a different agenda when it comes to marketing than small businesses do. They're thinking the approach 
and even the administration is very different. Their purpose is very different. And they understand the how and the why and what they need. Very many times, their strategies and priorities differ from yours significantly. And so this is the more reason why we are going to dedicate this quarter. We're going to take the couple of sessions and dedicate this thoroughly looking at marketing because marketing truly is the biggest leverage and the big factor that you need to make your business successful. I say this again and again, friends, the marketing priorities of a large company will definitely outshadow and will never be the same of that of a small company. Why? For several reasons. When you look at the big ticket companies, the big corporations, their own purpose or what's driving them is very, very different. You'll be shocked. Why do they have different priorities? Because they have interests. So, for example, a lot of the things that will be influential to the marketing agenda of a multinational, number one, they want to please the board of directors. They need to please their home country or they need to please the corporation. The corporation may not be in your country. The corporation may be far out there in the U.S., could be in, in the U.K., could be in Asia. But their primary aim is to please the board or the corporation. They are also there, the big items or the big companies, they need to appease their shareholders. And you are not in that league. They will also want to, you know, kind of satisfy superiors biases. What do I mean by superiors biases? Some of those big corporations and uh, entities, whether in, depending on the sector they find themselves, their biases at the board level. The MD may just see something that some other company is doing, take the financial sector, and there you are sitting down, you are the marketing director or head of marketing of a bank as an example, and your chairman is watching television and he sees some great initiative or something that comes up on the news and he looks at it and says, I like that. He will pick up his phone and call you. Hey, ID, are you on? So-so channel, go to so-so channel. You're going to see this on. I'd like us to do something like that as soon as possible. That was never in the plan. That is what happens with big ticket companies or organizations. They satisfy superiors' biases. They also try to satisfy existing clients' preconceptions. That you can find out because they just want their clients, whatever preconceptions they had before them, about them, they want to clear it. And so their marketing agenda is just to clear those cobwebs that their clients may have. Some may also have an objective that they just want to win awards. And in doing that, their marketing is tailored towards award-winning stuff. And it could go on and on by getting buy-in from communities and their stakeholders. But one thing I can tell you, whether... They look at it from the point of pleasing the board of directors, the corporation, appeasing shareholders. One priority that the large companies or big ticket companies have is making profit. They do not take prisoners when it comes to that. As a matter of fact, one way that they will ensure they protect the profit line is when business is not going well, they'll hold back on marketing. They'll hold back on your direct marketing budget, they hold back on the investment so that they can protect their interest and at the end be able to give something back either to the corporation or to appease shareholders. This is not in the light of what a small business owner will be looking at, and not at all. So you would also see that for large companies, they always have very different budgets. 
Do you know why they have different budgets? Because somewhere along the line, their strategy changes. It will change with scale. And it's important that you understand it. So when you are starting an enterprise, when you are starting a small business, and you start mimicking your business or your marketing agenda the way some other big-ticket company is doing theirs, it's a recipe for disaster. You are about to fail. Because what's driving them is not what's driving you. What they are looking at is not what you are looking at. Do you think that someone that, that goes and invests in the business of doing real estate will just sit back and do small stuff? The answer is no. He won't. He would look at big ticket items. The agenda will be very different because he's going to use a different format. So large company marketing is very different from small and medium business marketing. I hope my point is well laid as we have walked through that part. But one thing I want to come back home, because we are talking about the business of enterprise, and like I did say to you, that as we go through this process, I'm also going to piggyback on some literature that would help in driving this and also peruse some form of direction by taking cognizance of either stuff that I've read, books that I've looked at, articles that I've taken notes from, and some of them I may not remember, but because I always put down some little notes, I'll always just bring this to bear, just sharing it within the ambits of my experience. But one of such is that written by Alan Deep, and I'm going to paraphrase and use that a lot more. You also need to stand out from the crowd. So I'm going to borrow a lot of leaves, leaves from, from Alan, and hopefully as we look at some other items on the menu, we'll be able to tick off some boxes. I recall the days I used to work at the Coca-Cola company, and we had the privilege of inviting a very renowned business executive, writer, poet, and strategist. The man's name is Ram Sharan. He came to one of our executive conferences. Ram has written a couple of books. There's a particular book that he co-authored with Larry Bossidy called Execution. If you can lay your hands on that book, you know, it's amazing. I think I bought that book way back in 2003 or four. He also has written another one called Know How by Ram Sharan. Those are the kinds of books that you will read to give you some insights about the ability to drive capacity, capability, and also bring strategy to life. Know-how is key. If you want to step into the sphere of enterprise, you must have a high degree of know-how. If you don't, you do either of three things. You need to buy, you need to borrow, or you need to build. Either way, you must tick the box called know-how. And so, friends, I'm saying to you that if we are going to build our country, Nigeria, and of course, if we are going to build this continent to what it should be, that's Africa, businesses, small businesses are the gateway to a sustainable future of productivity. There are loads of young people, especially in the fintech, in the tech space, who are churning out great innovation day in, day out, who are looking at this space, who are taking on extreme dimensions of innovation. But the big question is, how are they able to take this on a sustainable journey? And you cannot run away from the other facets of our economy. Agriculture is very key. I know that technology is playing its own part. Manufacturing is very key. That's a place where you cannot take for granted. And we can go 
across board. The service industry, there's so much being done. And so there is what I consider the need for us to look at the phases of that marketing journey. Remember, we're talking about the business of enterprise. And one thing that is very key and central to it is marketing. You're just wondering, okay, is it all about marketing? Yes. Is it all about marketing and nothing else? The answer is yes. Why? Because marketing kickstarts the process. The process of even looking at demand creation sits around marketing. For you to get through to demand, to fulfill that demand, you would have gone through the process. That's where you need other parts of the chain. And the end product of it is that you make profit. So when you create something, you need to fulfill it. To fulfill it, you need other parts of the chain to make it happen. Now, this is where supply chain comes in. This is where logistics and all of that come in. So in any of these sectors where you think you've seen an opportunity or an idea that you want to bring to life, you obviously must go through some process. But I'm saying that your business is going to have a sustainable threshold into the future. You need to have a grasp and understanding that marketing is very key. The marketing process is a journey we need to guide our audience, our target audience, through. We want to guide them from not knowing we exist right through to being raving fans. I mean, think about what happens in a game of football. Take football as a sport. There are people that become fanatical about certain clubs, even to the extent that you wonder what is in this round game. Just a little ball with 22 men or women running around and the entire planet is lit. How do we get to that point where people become raving fans? These raving fans can be translated to customers. They buy the merchandise. They support the teams. And look at what's happening in that ecosystem. At the back end, You'll be amazed at the staff that are behind the scenes within the ambits of running a football enclave. And any sport, by the way, same thing with athletics, the backroom staff, you'll be amazed at how huge and the different competencies and the different industries that are behind the backroom. It's exactly the same way when you look at the marketing process, and the journey. The journey to getting one big fan called your customer. That fan is someone you want to retain and keep forever into the future. So, through this journey, there are always three distinctive phases that you want to guide people through. That is, these potential customers or fans, if you could use the word, quote-unquote, and it's always a before phase, a during phase, and an after phase. And this is where direct response marketing would always come to pass, where you look at certain things and then be able to, you know, um, accentuate it within that, that, that whole space. So if you look at the space of the pre, which I called before, we tend to label people going through the before phase as prospects. So right now, you are running a business and you need customers. What do you do? You call them prospects. That is at the beginning of the before phase. Your prospects typically don't even know that you exist. But they have a sense that they will need something. But they, don't, they may not know you exist. So what do you do? The only way you can clap your hands and say that you've successfully completed this phase is the result where that prospect now knows who you are and then indicates some interest. 
that way you would have counted yourself as being successful. Very many businesses miss this pre-encounter. So at this pre-stage, what they keep telling you, oh, I have a fantastic product. I have done this research. I brought together something that is going to kill the entire industry. It's going to open up a new vista of X, Y, or Z. They would have seen the imaginary customers and they keep seeing the prospects. But the question is, do the prospects know that you exist? The answer is no. But do the prospects have a challenge or do they need your product or any other product to meet a certain need? The answer is yes. So the point at which you will know that you have made good success at this phase is when that prospect now goes somewhere to say, do you have so-so and so? I have a challenge here. Do you have this thing that can take off this challenge? When they say yes, and they then present your brand or product, and he or she does an exchange, it then means that you have launched into the next phase. Friends, we'll be right back as we continue on the series looking at the business of enterprise. We need to pay some bills. We'll be back on the second half. Don't go away. This is Navigate with ID, brought to you by Corporate Shepherds. Welcome back, dear friends. It's Navigate with ID. This is your business school on radio. We are looking at the business of enterprise. And in the first half, we did take a trip in understanding how best we can bring our enterprise, that entity, to life and the importance of going through the marketing journey. This marketing journey, we did say, involves the before, the during, and the after. And in in that guise, we looked at the pre-process, which is the before, as that phase that we labeled to our audience or for our audience, those that are going through that before phase as prospects. At the beginning of the before phase, prospects typically don't even know that we exist or that your product exists. The successful completion of that particular phase is what results in the prospect knowing who you are and indicating an interest. A typical example that I could give is just imagine someone who has a challenge and um, maybe he needs to put certain contacts on his phone and he needs to sync his phone or phones or you buy a new phone or needs to sync his laptop and his phone. And what does he do? The first thing we do is to go online to search for a solution. And going online and searching for a solution gets to understand that, oh, there's this ad that pops up with some headline that speaks to little tips about syncing your phone. And what does that person do? That person goes in to look at that ad and is taken into a certain space where he or she is able to go into an online form, enters his or her email address in order to download a report or something. That in itself is a way that today's reality in the digital space is when people tend to get things done. It's very easy. The search engine is the best optimizer. You have some challenge. You want to buy a certain item or you want to treat yourself to a sumptuous meal and you don't know who's out there. All you need to do is just type, I want to buy X, Y, Z, and boom, options come through. Now, when those options come through, you've automatically found yourself in the next phase. That next phase is the during phase. This is where we label people going through the during phase as leads. Now, at the beginning of this during phase, these audience or potential customers that have come as prospects, they are leads. They have indicated some interest in your offer. 
So they've come out to say, I'm interested. So you see that they've come into your domain, they've come to your radar. Now, the successful completion of this phase results in what? That individual that was a prospect buying from you for the first time. The minute that happens, the after phase kicks in. So what is this after phase? It's a phase that we label people as customers. So customer is a generic term for people that pay you money. Depending on what type of business you are in, this label could be customer, could be client, could be patient, it could be anything. It could be partner, you know? But this person has just come into your domain, started as a prospect, became a lead, and now there's an exchange, and you can call that person your customer or client. At the beginning of this particular after phase, customers have already given you money. The after phase never ends. And that's what everybody prays for, that it never ends. That they keep coming back and keep coming back. And when executed correctly, it results in a virtual cycle where the customer buys from you repeatedly and is such a fan of your product or service that they consistently recommend you and they then do what? Introduce you to new prospects. This is how the cycle of the marketing process runs. But in between, there are several other items that are at play. The logistics of it, the point of distribution, the point where they are going to pay in terms of the payment, in terms of the actualization. There's so much that will happen within that whole space. And that's why when you look at the phases, you look at the status, each of them have different goals. So if you are stepping into the terrain of enterprise, you must understand that your goal at the phase, which is a before phase for a prospect, is to get them to know you and indicate interest. This is where a lot of small businesses fail. They think that they can just do half measures. They already know me in my family. Oh, I've given it, I've sent it out to my circle of friends. I've shared it to all my WhatsApp contacts. Sharing that with your WhatsApp contacts does not mean that they all know who you are. When it comes to the leads, that is during the during phase, you need to get them to like you and buy from you for the first time. That requires a certain activity. And finally, you need to get them to trust you. They need to buy from you regularly and not just buy from you. They will have to refer your business to some other person. So if I go very skillfully and selectively, I'd like to step in into what I consider the terrain of Alandeep as we look and we deep dive into the before phase and see how this phase is going to help you and I. Remember, in this phase, we're talking about dealing with prospects. Prospects are people who may not even yet know you exist. All you have done is to identify a particular audience or target, all you then need to do is to craft a compelling message for this target audience or target market, and then you then deliver this message through a certain advertising platform or media or medium. But the goal at this phase, which is the prospect status, is to get each of your prospects to know you Underline the word know and you. To know you and respond to your message. Once they have indicated interest by responding, they've automatically shifted gears to become a lead. So what do you need to do? This is more like marketing 101. Marketing 101 is about 
selecting your target market. And in summary, here's where I'm going to borrow a leaf from Alan Deeb's process. You will need to go through certain steps. But these steps will also be a function of certain highlights you must embark upon. Selecting your target market is a crucial first step in the marketing process. When you do that, you will ensure that your marketing message will resonate better, your messaging is apt, and that in turn will make your marketing far more effective. It's called a bullseye messaging. So what you do, you have a band of people that you know that those are potentially will buy your product are between an age band of, say, 25 to 35. But your communication, your message, must have an epicenter, a bullseye. So it may be that the message will be crafted and would appeal to those in the 30, that 30 mark. By focusing on the right target market for your business, you'll be able to get a better return, not just on your time, your money, and the energy you are putting to invest in this business. Most of the things you will look at will be why targeting everyone with your product of service is a terrible idea. You can't target everybody. You also will tell yourself that mass marketing can be harmful to your business and can cost you far more than it makes you. I see a lot of young businesses, very fresh, and they go into mass marketing. Why would you go into mass marketing? It will cost you a lot more. When it costs you so much, it can be harmful, far more than it will make you. That's why I talked about bullseye, just ensuring that your messaging and what you do is within the tenets of what you require at that stage. And very many people do not understand that they could decide to focus on a niche. And then the reason why you should focus on a niche and become a big fish in a small pond is simply because you want to be seen. And how do you do that? You do that by doing what is needful as you go through the process of selecting your target audience. Let me just give a bit of paraphrase around selecting your target market. One of the things that I always find out is when I ask business owners who their target market is, many tend to respond with everyone. In reality, what that means is no one. Because they have this zeal to acquire a lot of customers. I need as many customers as possible. Very many business owners try to serve the widest market possible. So for me, I want to look at family. I want to look at father, mother, son, daughter. But they forget that the son or the daughter could be a teenager and one could be a child. There are mixed markets in the family construct. So you say, my target is the family. Yes, it's a family, but the boy is a teenager. The girl is a child. So who makes the decision? Now, on the face of it, it seems very logical. However, this is a huge mistake. There are many business owners who worry about narrowing down their target market because they don't want to exclude any potential customers. And this is where newbies in marketing can consider some mistakes. What you then find out is that if you do not go through a scientific process, and that scientific process, which is making people understand that marketing is both an art and a science. There is a theory behind mass marketing. There's a theory and a science behind targeted marketing. A lot of large company advertising fall into the category of mass marketing. And that's why when people kick off, they want to kick off like the big companies. No. Don't get into mass marketing. 
Now, this mass marketing, sometimes people refer to it as branding. They want to be seen everywhere. And once you bring out branding as a major force, you're going to spend money. You know, when you go with a mass marketing approach, it's almost like you are an archer or I like watching movies a lot, a sniper. If you are a sniper in the middle of a dense fog or you're an archer, just shooting arrows in the hope that one of them will hit spot, you may just not get anything because the haze is going to take stuff off. So the theory behind mass marketing is that you want to get your name out there. These days, some get very creative and they do certain things. Let me be honest with you. I don't know how many of you will be able to relate to this. And I'm very many years ago, I found myself specifically working for one of the top beverage companies in the world. Now, because I do not want to pull this program into a beverage war of sorts, I just want to highlight an example. There was some buzz in the market about strange men that were found walking around the streets. And everybody kept looking. Have you seen them? Have you sighted them somewhere? All around, there was a lot of noise on the streets. And people were wondering, what are these guys doing? They, this were very many years ago. Probably 96, 97, thereabout. And if you were around then and you were conscious, you remember that the buzz was strong. It was just a particular beverage brand that was introducing a flavor of theirs. And the impact of that whole campaign, that was mass marketing at its best. It got tongues wagging. There was a lot of attention. And by the time they got to the reveal, it was amazing. And the buzz was there. That's mass marketing. They needed to get their name out there and they got it. These days, you find some, some brands, some products, some companies, they go on the third mainland bridge and then they have human billboards donning some stuff and then they just want people to see this. That's another form of mass marketing. Have I ever bothered to take a look at any of those? Maybe I look at the first one. After that, I just find it a distraction to my play. That is me. So if you are a small business owner who wants to express himself and itself in the industry and you decide to do what the big boys and the big companies are doing, you just spend your money for nothing. But there are other ways you can deliver it. This is why I said very many times, some look at it, look at it from the lens of an archer that is in the middle of a dense fog and just shooting arrows in every direction with the hope that one or more of them will hit the intended target. Many times they may not. Why? Because the archer himself becomes disoriented. When you don't see any returns, when you don't see people talking about all that you've done because you've been very random, shooting your arrows in random directions and hoping for a hit is a pipe dream. But if you have the resources to put in multiple dimensions of it, then there's a chance that you'll get something that will come through. So... The big question is, as the archer, do you have enough arrows that you can shoot in all directions? And are you bound to hit your target? Maybe. But for a small to medium-sized business or enterprise, at, this, at the very least, I will say to you, that's a stupid way of marketing because you will never have enough arrows. In other words, you never have enough duty. In other words, you'll never have enough money to hit that target enough, enough times to get a good return on your investment. 
And so what do you need to do? And this is where I'm kind of putting the thoughts, especially for newbies who are just stepping into the terrain of enterprise to look at the fact that to be a successful small entrepreneur or business marketer, you need to have a laser focus or a laser-like focus on a narrow target market. And sometimes we call this a niche. Niche marketing is amazing. Niche marketing harnesses the power of focus. It helps you direct your arrow as the archer to a space that you know that you will hit the chances of hitting the target very high and the chances of missing very low. Either way, you are able to put in something and get a return. So let me make an attempt um, using Alan's words to define a business niche. A niche is a tightly defined portion of a subcategory. For example, let us look at health and beauty. Once upon a time, I used to work for a beauty company. And so I was kind of familiar with the health and beauty category. I'm also that the company I worked for, there were some beauty brands that were driven around and along the health lines. Those brands are still, they're very premium. As a matter of fact, a friend of mine wanted to use a certain product. Um, it was an anti-aging uh, serum. And I recommended that she should go use this particular product. Um, I can give you the, the name is, is spelled V-I-C-H-Y, free ad to them, but that's part of my past. By the time she got to the, she said she knew the product, by the time she got to the store, that small 30 ml serum, small 30 ml serum was selling for 45,000 naira. She just called me and said to me, at this rate, I'll, I'll run out of town. I said, no. I said, that, that's an example of what a niche, a niche subcategory target does. That kind of product, you are looking at a very small target, but the target, when they know you, they know you. And when they come for you, they come for you because they can afford it. You don't find such products in any pharmacy. It has to be the iron. So it, everything percolates and works through. I know that may not be a great example, but I wanted to bring that within the context of saying, if you think of a health and beauty category, that's a, it's a very wide category. However, when you think about a beauty salon, it can offer a wide variety of services, including tanning, waxing, facials, cellulite treatment, hairdressing, and much more. So, for example, if you take one of the subcategories, let's say the treatment, cellulite treatment, for example, that could be your niche. If you take uh, the facials and waxing, that could be your niche. However, you could even tighten it up even further by focusing on just the cellulite treatment for women who have just had a baby. That's further going into the deeper crevice. That is a tightly defined niche. So whereas it's a beauty salon that has a wide variety of services, you then choose to go into cellulite treatment. But within cellulite treatment, you choose to go after women who have just had their babies. Then you know that's a super niche. That is super highly defined niche. Now, you may be thinking, why on earth would we want to limit our market so much? This is why. Number one, you have a limited amount of money. You don't have all the money to spend. You want to be all things to all people. You get frustrated. So you need to drive it through the niche, niche marketing. If you focus too broadly, your marketing message will become diluted and weak. But... If you know who you are looking for, you would know where you'll find them. You would go to 
top-rate hospitals. You will be in top-rate pharmacies. You will engage with top-rate doctors who would also recommend to their patients that have had babies that you need to go for some treatment and they are, look for the spas or salons or beauty salons that do this. Not everybody is into cellulite treatment. Then you'll find that you need to locate yourself somewhere. Those that are looking for you will come after you because they know what they are looking for. The other critical factor is relevance. When you want to put together an ad and make sure that you get ACON approval, by the way, that's why it's an enterprise. You must be legally refined and that entity must do everything legal and sure. Let me give you another example. Let's take another example of a photographer. If you look at most ads from most photographers, you'll always often see a laundry list of services. Portraits, weddings, family, commercial, fashion. Many of them are all over the place. Now, the technical way photography is done may not change very much from situation to situation. But let me ask you a question. Do you think someone looking for wedding photography will respond to a different ad than someone who is after commercial photography? Do you think a bride-to-be looking for a photographer for a special day might be looking for something radically different than a purchasing manager from a heavy machine factory or a truck manufacturer or distributor looking for a photograph to photograph a truck for a product brochure? Of course. Now, here's what you're going to see differently, friends. When you are able to roll out a specific campaign within a specific process, the chances of you having a marketing success from, remember, the prospect, the lead, customer, it will kick in better. And this is where I'll rest the case for us looking at niche marketing or what I will call niching, about harnessing the power of focus. I hope you found this quite interesting to understand that your best days are still ahead, but you need to go through a marketing process. We'll be back, friends, next edition, as we look at and continue on this series around the business of enterprise. If you have questions, please pop it to contact at navigatewithid.com or you can follow me on any of my platforms. My handle is at I-D-Y-E-N-A-N-G. Thank you for listening and God bless. And that was Navigate with ID, brought to you by Corporate Shepherds.